Welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survived. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So today we're going to be talking about a tsunami. That's going to be my story. And what's your story? I've got someone who fell into a crevasse. I love that word, crevasse. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you're, you're going to start first. I feel so English and proper when I say it. <laughs> I keep wanting to say crevice. And I know, and that I have makes to, sense to us. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself they're two, spelled two different ways because yeah. they're two different words. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> so, so this is the story of John Hall from 2014, May 19th, 10 a.m. I have a time. <laughs> <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. Because <laughs> uh, time is actually really relative to this story. Okay. Uh, uh, he's 44 at the time, and he's a scientist at a research expedition, or sorry, on a research expedition on Mount Himlung in Nepal at 20,000 altitude to study black dust. So that's a lot of information right there. Black dust is the uh, situation where you've got factories that are you know pumping, doing whatever their, their thing is, and they have their emissions coming out of their smokestacks, their chimneys, whatever. Oh, okay. Black dust is studying the effect of how far they go. Where does that end up? Is it Does it stay in the neighborhood? Or, in John Hall's case, does it end up in Nepal on a mountain? <laughs> you know? That's what he's out doing. That's so odd. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. we got we got to realize how badly we're we're messing with Polluting. our own planet. That's true. So, climbing mountains at 20,000 altitude in Nepal is very dangerous business. I mean, you know, everyone's always talking about climbing uh, Mount Everest. Right, Mount yeah. Everest and, and you know, you, you typically have to hire a, a bunch of uh, Nepali climbers to do most of the work for you. We can have a whole episode on, on that already. Point is, these guys are researchers first and climbers probably second. And in the month previous to this, just to give you an idea how dangerous it is, John woke up to the ground rumbling when an ice shelf had collapsed down the side of Mount Everest, killing 16 climbers, including Aman Tamang, who was a young Sherpa he had befriended in that time. A buddy of his, a new friend of his, just died from it. A really promising uh, climbing career ahead of him. Now, back to this mission, he, his two climbing partners had retreated back down to settle a stomach issue and should be back in a day or two. So he was by himself for the next one to two days, minimum. And this morning, he wakes up. It was a uh, relatively warm 25 to 35 degrees. Oh, very nice and warm. Oh, yeah. 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 Brought a, did he wear shorts? Uh, pretty much. Uh, he dressed light. Oh, okay. <laughs> and stepped out to look for fresh snow to make himself a cup of coffee with before he found himself plummeting. So this is like a you know a typical Monday morning for the East Coasters in you know, 25, 35 degree yeah, <laughs> exactly. weather. So yeah, you know this poor guy comes out of his tent with a cup in his hand, looking to make some coffee. So he's you know, looking for some fresh snow. Walk, walk, walk. Woof, starts falling immediately through the snow, and his face smashed against something in the darkness. By instinct, he tried to jab one of his climbing axes into the ice in front of him to slow down. The force of this dragging ends up wrenching his arm out of its socket. Oh my goodness. Tearing the tissue and shattering the bone in it. His oh hard, my gosh, shattering the bone too. His hard landing was cushioned by his broken ribs. Oh, gross. 
he had fallen 70 feet onto a chunk of ice that had itself been wedged between the walls of the same eight-foot-wide crevasse. So he's fallen through like an eight-foot shaft through the snow into darkness, and the only thing that stops him from falling further beyond 70 feet is another big old chunk of ice that also fell in with him, or probably before him and gotten stuck. So that's what he ends up falling on. Not Oh my god, and so, yeah, obviously, it's not like it's a shelf or anything. No, it's yeah. Not it's not steady. Yes, yeah. exactly. It can shift at any moment. It could melt underneath his body weight for all we know. He takes a moment to assess the situation. He shifts his body around and was met with a jolt of pain that spread throughout his body and made him dizzy. So just imagine that. You're just wiggling and you're just in so much pain you're already dizzy. You can probably quickly assess your body's really messed up right yeah, now. Yeah, you don't I even. So. Yeah, yeah. He ended up having 15 broken bones. Six of them happened to be crushed vertebrae. His right arm got pulled from its socket, we mentioned that earlier, and his right ribs were shattered, we mentioned that earlier too. His abdomen was stiff and sore from internal bleeding. He had a coppery taste in his mouth, which is evidence of kidney slash liver damage from the It fall. is? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought that that would have been an indication of a, um, a concussion. Coppery taste? I, yeah, no, I don't could, know. No, yeah, it could be. He might have had a concussion through all this, too. I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, hitting ice. Yeah. yeah. The blood on his face had already congealed, so it's no longer liquid on his face anymore. So I don't know how much time has passed, if any. Uh, his body and fingers were freezing in this dark mountain. <laughs> I'd imagine he didn't have his gloves no. or his, like, full equipment. Right. He, he just, just woke up. Yeah, he was just going you out know? to get a quick cup of coffee. He just slept in his shorts, probably, you know, <laughs> metaphorically or even literally. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, but reminder, his, his partners aren't expected to be back in a day or uh, for a day or two. So this guy's stranded. And in about six hours' time, it's going to be too dark on this mountain for him to climb out. He's He's got a time limit. <laughs> Wow. How desperate a situation is this so far? Hundreds of feet away, the crevasse narrowed enough for him to climb up it like a chimney. To get there, John... Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's, he's like, gonna shimmy, shimmy up. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. right now, it's eight foot wide, which is a little bit too much of a stretch, but it Obviously. narrows. So he's like, if I can get there, I can start to shimmy up. To get there, John would kick his ice climbing boots into the wall, sink an axe in front of him, and a second axe as far right as he could... Uh, as, as far as he could reach, retrieve the first axe and repeat. I'm gonna I'm gonna re-explain that. So he's kicking his his ice boots into the the wall and he's being held up that way. He's got an axe in front of him just in case. He's also doing this with one arm, his left arm. He's grabbing a second axe and reaching as far right as he can to drive the second axe as far right as he can. Then he's unhooking his feet from the wall one at a time, repositioning them below the second axe. And then shifting his weight over and then planting his feet back into the wall again in order to let go of the second axe to grab the first axe. And that's what he's got to do in order to shuffle sideways along a vertical face of the mountain. <laughs> that is scary. Well, he, and it's black it's, in there too. It's dark. His body is yeah. jacked up. I mean, the holy moly, the concentration and, 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 and strength that, that you require to, yes. to pull this because, off. Yeah, and the minute you let go, you're done. It's over. You do yeah. it in the wrong order. You, you forget to plant this in or to let go of that. You fall. You're gone. So in 30 minutes, John was able to climb to another wedged chunk of ice about 50 feet above. So he's only got about 20 feet left to get 
back up to the surface from which he had fallen from. But first, he needed to move to another ice block 50 feet over. So he's managed to climb 50 feet up. He now needs to go another 50 feet sideways before he can go up another 20 feet. This has taken about four hours. Oh my gosh. (laughs) He's got two hours left to climb the last 20 feet. After breaking through to the surface and pulling himself up, John was unable to walk the three minutes back to his tent because his body, you know, had begun to fail. Everything was so destroyed, and the amount of strength that he'd have, he had to pull, uh, pull and use up just to yeah, get up to the surface. Yeah, he's used it all he's, up. Yeah, he's got practically nothing left. It's a three-minute walk, and he can't even walk. So he's got to drag himself and his body through the snow, shivering all the way over the two-hour journey. You know, I was thinking of rolling, but obviously yeah. rolling might wouldn't... make up more, take more energy, might uh, be more no, dangerous. It might hurt more because you're rolling on your ribs and his ribs are smacked. That's a good point. You know, so probably his arms are the only thing so he yeah. could drag himself. At least it's not moving around his ribs. Arm yeah. singular because one oh, of them yeah. is still ripped out. Yeah. Ar- <laughs> out of socket. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he has to make it back to his tent before night. Exactly, or he'll freeze. It, yeah, he's gonna freeze to death. So he has that against yeah. him too. He's got the freezing to death. He's got the potential to like bleed out. <laughs> well, eh, maybe not so much of the bleeding out portion of it. Well, he's I mean, he's up. bleading internally. internally. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. He's it's still your story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think that? <laughs> maybe you're better at this. Than I don't know. So he's able to get back into his tent, and he uses his satellite communicator to send a message to a Facebook page that he had co-founded, the American Climber Science Program. Now, fortunately for him, in Kentucky, all the way around, you know, across the world, the other side of it, 4 a.m., Rebecca Cole and Carl Schmidt, these are the other co-founders of this Facebook page, they happen to be up at 4 a.m. browsing Facebook, and they see this message pop up. And they scramble a team across the globe that could fly out there to save John. How awesome is that? And what a great idea to think that. (laughs) Facebook. International. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, our first uh, thought process is to get to a phone Mm -hmm. and you think automatically call 911. Yeah. But if you're in Nepal, (laughs) that's not 911. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. So you got to, you got to. Come up with some a different some, some strategy. Plan. This is the best strategy. Yeah. Because someone at, else can call for me. <laughs> well, there's that. And then at times, even when you don't have good phone reception, sometimes you could have better internet reception. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a good point. Yeah. So go to the internet. If you can't use your phone, go to the internet. Yeah. What a great guy. As John lay on his back, waiting the longest wait in his life. His tent flap eventually opens, and a Nepali rescuer brings him to a helicopter. And it was only then that he allowed himself to think, I'm alive. John would take his next snowy summit in March of 2015. So that's about eight months after, uh, sorry, about 10 months after the fact. And he found peace and happiness from that climb. That was him testing himself if he would have trauma from what had happened. And so 10 months later, he's able to climb up another mountain and be happy with it. So he knew, like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, how awesome. He would go to become a research professor at Western Washington University. And I got a quote from him as well. We all have dreams, but we usually say, I'll do it when I get a chance. Lying on that mountain, I realized you get only one chance to live. 
Wow, talk about a feel-good story. <laughs> like he said, you you always, I do that. I do that a lot. Mm. You know, you put things off and you say, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Mm. You know, oh, there's always tomorrow. And you just don't know, you know. Yeah. And it's even talking to our loved ones and yeah. just reaching out to call them. Sometimes, especially our older loved ones, you yeah. get so busy, you forget to reach out to your aunt or, you know, your uncle or something and, and just, you know, ask them how their day was or how they're doing. And you get so busy and wrapped up in your own life. Something as small as that. Yeah. You know, and it means so much to them and it means a lot to you and your relationship. You know, I, I've got a sad moment like that where um, my, my grandma, uh, she had tumbled again, you know, like broken a hip. And we had to put her in some kind of um, uh, medical 24 hour care like a hospice okay you know, it was it was coming towards that time and i hadn't uh really visited her yet but uh i remember it was mother's day and at cal poly pomona we were doing a production of oedipus el rey which is a modern day adaptation of oedipus the uh, oedipus rex the story of the man who kills his father and marries his mom accidentally fulfilling a prophecy and this is like a, a modern day adaptation of it and so I remember sitting there thinking, it's Mother's Day, and instead of visiting my grandma on her deathbed, I'm here watching a guy screw his own mom. Jesus Christ. I didn't get another chance with my grandma. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you think back, um, and at the time, you know, obviously, you know, you're in school, you're in college, and at the time, that's important to you. Right. You know, but... But in retrospect, as you get older, yeah, you know, there's so many things that in retrospect, when you're younger, they really don't mean a lot at yeah. all. You know, it doesn't really mean. And it wasn't a, a make or break moment. Right. You know, and there was a lot of moments. Uh, I, I do that a lot. I, I put my career in front of certain events. You know, and I couldn't be at certain family events because, yeah. oh, I'm working, I'm working. And, I mean, I had vacation time and I had, you know, right. paid time off. I could have done it, Yeah. you know. And now as I gotten older, I realize that. And you'll never catch me working when there is a family event now yeah. because I know better that that you very be well. There. Yeah, exactly. And. Mm. And you can't take that back, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. And are you going to remember? Are you really going to remember that day necessarily? Yeah. Like, it's not a poignant day. It's just a normal day at work. Yeah. It's just a normal day at school, yeah. you know? But you're going to remember being with your grandmother. You're going to remember those family events, you yeah. know? I I seem to remember those. Even just like the yearly get-togethers when you get together at Christmas and yeah. things. I remember those quite significantly. You know, maybe because it means so much to me. Yeah. So, well, that's a crazy story. Mine, tell, right? tell us about the tsunami. Okay. I'm going to tell you about this tsunami. Now, are you familiar with this at all? The tsunami that hit in 2004? Uh, it was pretty significant. How old would you have been? You're a young guy. 16 years ago, I would have been like 14. Oh, uh, so yeah, you didn't care about it. You were in your own life at that point. I don't know. I could have been a tsunami <laughs> hobbyist or something. <laughs> Okay, so so my story is about Hannah Irwin and the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami. Hmm. So now there are so many survivor 
survival. You're covering an earthquake and a tsunami. I know, right? Oh, double dip in here. <laughs> so, no, but it's the earthquake. Yeah, that causes the tsunami. Yes, yeah. the earth. Okay, I'm going to tell you the whole story. you got to listen here, okay? <laughs> You're jumping ahead. Okay, there are so many survival stories uh, with regard to this specific tsunami. I may touch on this again because okay. it's so significant. There were so many survivors. It's a great story yeah. um, of survival and really coming together and everything. So, uh, but I'm going to concentrate on Hannah Irwin for today. Yeah. So, in 2004, it was a sunny, clear day. Hannah was on her honeymoon in what they called a tranquil paradise. Uh, this she was staying in a beach bungalow in Thailand, and it was Boxing Day. Uh, Boxing Day actually originally came from uh, a tradition where people would give the servants uh, the day after Christmas off. So it just kind of stuck around. So okay. people know it is Boxing Day. So what is that? December 26th. 26, yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's, I'm sorry. What country is this? This is Thailand. Thailand. Okay. Originated, Boxing Day originated, I think it was Britain, but it's just okay. kind of, you know, moved on yeah. to other parts of the world. The other places that Britain colonized. <laughs> yeah. And they just kept it. Yeah. So it's Boxing Day and the newly married couple was on their way to go snorkeling mm -hmm. in a small bay called Lana Bay. Mm -hmm. When they reached Lana Bay, they noticed that the tide had already gone out. Oh, Hannah, oh. okay, so Hannah made a comment about this since it would mean that the boatman wouldn't be able to make any money that day if the boats were grounded. Yeah. She just thought it was really odd and she noticed it right away. Now, what they don't know is an earthquake had occurred. Uh, it registered a magnitude of 9.1 to 9.3. The epicenter was off the coast of northern I think I'm saying this right, Sumatra, Indonesia. Mm. So it was off the coast. It's technically in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. So okay. This is a very large earthquake. It's it didn't really hit shore, but it created a massive tsunami yep. that grew over a hundred feet high. So this is this is real serious, and it's on its way. Yeah. And they don't know it. Yeah. So going back to Hannah and her husband, they reach the boat that arranges to take them out snorkeling with other honeymooners off the coast. The tide is slowly coming back in, so they board the boat. Everybody boards the boat, and they're getting ready for their day. The tide immediately went out again while they're on the boat. Oh, no. And it was much quicker this time. The tide had gone out so far to the point where fish were just flapping about. Oh, no. Yeah. So yeah. fish are not even, like, they're Aware just out of, of the water. Now, I don't know, you know, knowing this story, we know what's going to go on or something's up. Right. Would you know something is up if the shore receded that far back? Yes. I've, I've heard often that if you see the water not just go to low tide, but just kind of almost like it got sucked up by a straw, it just disappears. Especially if you know that an earthquake had happened just before, this is the first warning of a tsunami. It's on its way. The water had just has just been pulled back. It's going to be 
flying at you in the next minute or so. Get to high ground ASAP. So, like, as soon as you... That's only because I happen to, like, hear it. I'm, I'm surprised that the locals aren't, like, freaking out and, and, and panicking and informing everybody. But maybe they're not aware of it either. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah maybe they... This is Thailand, so yeah. maybe they had not had one of these before. We right. don't know. Right. So... They were really, everybody was really confused what was going on, and they decided to climb back out of the boat, because obviously they're not going anywhere. Right, the water's gone. Yeah, the water's not even there, the boat's kind of like starting to tip, so they get all out, and they're standing on the beach, kind of looking out over the sea. They watched astonished as a very large wave appeared, and it was incredibly loud. And I'm not sure if at this point they really got the gist of just how large it was. Yeah. Because it was so far out. Right. So I'm not sure if they really had the understanding of what was going on. And it it might maybe appear smaller, you know, from a distance. Right. So, but it was definitely coming in fast. Right. So Hannah said she began slowly backing up the beach while watching the wave. So oh, yeah, she's, she's she's getting it. She's getting that tickle. Remember we talked yeah, about trust her gut, stomach. trust her yeah, instinct. Yeah, something's wrong here. And she starts backing up, you know, a little slowly. And it was becoming clear that this was an enormous wave. Yeah. So at this point, the boatman told everybody, run up the track that leads back to the resort. And the boatman had a seriousness in their voice mm-hmm. where she knew... This, this is was serious. A yeah. much worse than just a large wave. Yeah. Hannah looked back to find her husband through all the chaos. Everybody's yeah. running up this uh, track to yeah. get back to the resort. And in all the chaos, she looks at her husband uh, looking back, and her husband is shouting, Run, run, yeah. run to the viewpoint. And Hannah knew exactly what he meant uh, as they discovered a viewpoint up in the hills just uh-huh. the day before. Uh-huh. So she ran up through the trees and she's climbing it's a hill yeah. oh. so she's climbing up these hills pulling herself up she could hear the thunderous noise of the water behind her yeah uh, when they finally stop running and have fully climbed up this hill they realize half the party with them didn't make it yeah so some men tried to head back down including her husband down the mountain to save others but soon they came rushing back. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm going too excited. I almost bumped you. Okay. So some of the men, again, they tried to head back down to the mountain to save others, including her husband. But they rushed back because another wave was coming. Right. So just couldn't. They just couldn't do it. So they decided to find another way to even climb higher. Yeah. Through branches and overgrown brush to the highest point possible. Yeah. Time passed. More people were arriving up the hill, many barefoot, yeah, in various degrees of injury, you know, just right. clothes ripped off, everything. Now, four to five hours had passed, and they're just sitting up on this hill, looking over everything. They could see what's, you know, all the damage and everything that the water is doing. Um, it's four to five hours have passed before they decide to go back down to see if they could recover their belongings. As they made their way back down, trees had fallen, ripped out of the ground. Boats, including the the one that they were going to take, were a good distance from shore. 
some buildings had actually disappeared altogether. Yikes. Yeah, so there are no buildings yeah. where they were able to get to their bungalow. They Their bungalow was still standing. Okay. And they gathered up their passports and some of their belongings and some water. Uh, so Steve's cell phone, her new husband, Steve's cell phone was working at times. So they were able to get a hold of Hannah's mom, who was said to have been hysterical, mm-hmm. which I would be too. Mm-hmm. And she, the mom told Hannah of the exact extent of the tsunami and its destruction. And um, so Steve also shared his phone with some of those around them so they could try to get a hold of their loved ones. Yeah. But eventually the phone lost service altogether. Mm. So they lost their cell phone service. Now, they walked up another hill after gathering their belongings and having, you know, Steve and uh, Steve give out the phone. Um, Steven. They walked up another hill where they spent the night and as you can imagine in like a zombie-like state kind of, you know, uh, Hannah comforted those who had been separated from their family and loved ones. They didn't really know what was going to happen. Right. Over the next few days, their tranquil holiday resort became a morgue for the dead. Yeah. They could hear helicopters. So they could hear helicopters arriving and taking most of the injured. Uh, The hotel staff rationed water and rice to eat while they waited for help and a way to get off the island. Yeah. So as they were making their way off the island, they could see coffins were lining the side of the road. The airport, as you can imagine, it was just chaos. Yeah. Uh, Many trying to travel without passports. That made for longer delays. You know, just people are just trying to get off this island. Uh, It took actually a few days for them to leave the island. Mm -hmm. Uh, As they arrived home, they were met by relieved friends and family. And after some time, things settled in for Hannah and she was hit with that survivor's guilt. Yeah. So she had nightmares, which obviously it was totally understandable, you know, about the whole situation. What is great in all of this badness is because of the events that Hannah and Steve, you know, experienced and everything... They actually got deeply involved in raising funds for the tsunami relief, which included rebuilding the Thai Navy as well. Um, The tsunami. Now, just to give you the seriousness of this tsunami, this tsunami killed an estimated 227,898 people. That is like a city in our area. I was... Right as you were starting that sentence, I was thinking like 114,000. So this is double the estimate that I even had yes. in my head. So this tsunami, uh, and it, it, devastated. it wasn't just Thailand, you know. Yeah, yeah. So this tsunami killed 227,898 people, wow. spanning over 14 countries. Yeah. And made it one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. Yeah. And this was just one story of survival. Yeah. But From the many. Yes, exactly. And I would love, um, I want to go over some of those. Because yeah. there were so many stories of, of heroism and, right. and, you know, people saving other people right. and really coming together. But it's just so awesome that. Hannah was able to take such a horrible situation and she had that survivor's guilt. Yeah. And she just turned it around and like, instead of feeling sorry for herself. She tried to channel it into something. Yes, she channeled it in to helping those people. Yeah. You know, because us as Americans, 
we have a lot more. Even when we're bad off, yeah. we're not as bad off as uh, some other countries. A bad day know? for us is we forgot our cell phone charger. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, that's our bad day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that she, you know, her and her husband were able to, just like you said, channel this energy to helping people. That's yeah. the most awesome thing, you know? And I think that's the only thing you can do yeah. when you're a survivor, you it, know? It, 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 it's got to really help you cope with it all, too. Yes. You, know, the, you couldn't have stopped that tsunami. The tsunami wasn't your fault, but this is your way to give back to the people who uh, were hurt. Again, not by your actions, but something through an event that you also experienced and lived through. And Wow. It, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. And it's... Just like we talk about, it is so incredible what Mother Nature and the destruction, like how beautiful it can be, yeah. but the other dark side and how much destruction and chaos it can, can happen yeah. in the blink of an eye, Yeah, you know, and the world as you know it, like buildings are no longer there and At leveled, changed, lifted off the ground, crushed. Uh, yeah. And even... Even just going back to, uh, God, a couple episodes ago where the guy was going through the desert, yeah. the wind Moral. had changed the... Yeah. the Moral prosperity, the, the, the desert winds had shifted all the sand dunes and everything. It looked like a completely foreign uh, terrain. You know? Yeah. Like he had just been lifted off the ground and placed somewhere, somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, totally right. Yeah. But that's, that just goes to show how much uh, respect you have to give to mother nature absolutely you know what i mean it's the seriousness mm. but i mean how would you know right away that something was going down and what would you think to do would you see there's there's a certain point where right. when things are going down you're like am i overreacting because if i took off running yeah. and everybody's watching me like well that's a crazy nut she's yeah. just running if i saw those fish and i took off running I mean, would people think, you know, you're crazy? <laughs> you're going to be the crazy person who lived. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, like even uh, in my own personal case of not trying to hijack the episode, so I'm not going to go into the full details of my story, but um, I nearly had bled out in, in a restroom at work. And everything leading up to a certain point was me trying to talk myself out of the seriousness the ser of the situation. Yeah. Like, and do we do that a lot? We probably do. I mean, what the, 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 the Sheena, you know. Yeah. You know, oh, it's kind of weird that this girl wants me to meet her through her garage. I have to crawl underneath it and walk through the dark to get into her backyard and then into her home. But, you know, I'm probably overreacting. Like, you got to trust your gut on a lot of these situations. You, yeah. You know, we as a species have survived as long as we have, trusting that gut. Yeah. Well, it, it, uh, it's been trained into us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Through hundreds of years of evolution, you know. And then here we are. We're like, oh, you know, you, you spend so much time talking yourself out of it. Yeah. You know, and even just like you said, with health problems mm -hmm. we do that especially as americans you know mm -hmm. you don't want to go that expensive doctor yeah you just live with stuff yeah you know you live with foot pain yeah. like in my case you live with like little ailments and you just kind of like oh maybe i'm getting older 
you you start yeah. explaining it away, right? We had an empl- uh, an employer together where I had taken the day off for for medical reasons to go talk to my doctor about a situation that had come up, and I'm gonna say it. It was hemorrhoids, bleeding out of my butt, you know, which is never something that should ever be taken for granted or assumed to be normal or okay. That's that's a problem. And and so I came back and, you know, this this employer of ours was was curious about it. And, you know, part of me is like, I'm under no legal obligation to share with him this information of of my medical situation, but I'm going to do it, you know, just in terms of good faith. And he kind of dismissed it. And he was like, oh, don't worry about that, Annie. That's normal for Asian men like us. Did he really say that? Those weren't his exact words, but he definitely dismissed it and said, it's normal for Asians to have hemorrhoids. And I don't know if there's any credible, yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> obviously he's not a medical doctor. He ain't a doctor. Yeah, But for exactly. him to be like, wink, wink, me too, yeah, you know, get back to work. Yeah, that is definitely, yes, okay, for maybe a 60, 70, <laughs> who, who knows how old he is. But for, for an older gentleman, yes, okay, maybe they do have hemorrhoids. For a, a young guy in their 20s. Yeah. Something's not right. And you're 100% right that I, I going back to the male macho thing, yeah. you know, we don't want to admit when we're vulnerable or something's wrong or yeah. we kind of just shove it away, you yeah. know, like move on. Rub some dirt into it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Grow up. Yeah, grow up. up. But see, there he goes. He's trying to tell you yeah. to man up and just, oh, live with it. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm not going to freaking live with it. That's right. not normal you know it was in that moment i was recognizing this man is telling me to accept that i'm going to be bleeding out of my butt all my life as if it were as normal as breathing and blinking and nope get used to it now that's nuts. Yeah. But that's craziness. Yeah, never in my life. <laughs> got it. Like going back to all survival. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Be your own advocate yeah. for your health, right? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, had you gone to work and just ignored it, you wouldn't have remembered that work day. Mm-mm. You know why? Because it wasn't significant. Mm-mm. Just like we talked about. It's yeah. not even significant. You know? Leave yeah. it. Like, obviously, your health is more important than anything. Oh, yeah. You know? So, yeah. You'd like to live a little longer than freaking 30, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Well, I think that's all for our episode, right? We did go so. over both stories this I, I time. I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You covered the tsunami and I covered uh, John falling through the crevasse. The crevasse. crevasse. Awesome. So if you guys want to send us your stories, you can send it to info at theyactuallysurvive.com. You could follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter. Uh, you could Twitter also if you mm. would like. Uh, it's all under They Actually Survive, so you can look us up. And you can also Google us. You'll find us somewhere, some way, somehow. Talk to you soon, guys. Good for you? Yeah, it's good for me. Thank you for listening, and don't forget that you, too, can survive.